what a joy to welcome you here on this Palm Sunday morning. Uh, on occasion, I run by a couple of donkeys out in the field, and every time I see them, I always yell out, thanks for carrying the king. I always tell them that. They look at me like I'm silly, but I always tell them, hey, thank you for carrying the king. And um, I'm glad to see you here this morning, and we, we do celebrate our king. And we're dealing with Ecclesiastes 5 yet again this morning, uh, but I think at the end of it, we do see Jesus, and I think we see Jesus in every text, and we'll be wrapping it up that way today. I'm glad you also have survived the high winds. That's pretty incredible. Um, it literally it just seemed like it's blowing from every direction, and uh, so a lot of people have had some devastating impact from that, but you have survived, we have survived, and hopefully we'll continue to survive, and the cleanup can go well for everybody. Uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you want to get out of life? What is your aim in life? A lot of people are going to answer with money or fame or promotions or status or maybe more things. Uh, what is it that people really desire and want out of life? What do you breathe after is another way that we could say it. It's interesting because if you just pull up slide number two for me this morning, uh, one of the key phrases that we're going to be dealing with is in verse 10, and it seems like it's the underlying theme of the entire passage. And verse 10 is, whoever loves money never has enough. That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Um, whoever loves money never has enough. And when we look at the word loves, uh, it's to breathe after. Now read it carefully. Money's a good thing. Wealth is a good thing. Uh, and many of our aspirations, many of, th of the things that we breathe after, the things that we love, your, your Hebrew scholars will, will tell you that the word loves means to literally to breathe after it. Okay, so uh, Ecclesiastes and Solomon writes in this particular place in his journal that if we love money, we never have enough. And if we love wealth, we're never satisfied with our income. And he says, this is all meaningless. When we breathe after these things, again, do not hear me say this morning that money or wealth is a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. They're gifts from God and they can be leveraged and used for the kingdom. And so please understand that. But what I want you to see this morning and that a man, uh, one of the most wealthy persons to ever live on this planet is trying to tell you something. He's qualified to talk about this topic, about what you're looking to, um, to get out of life, what you're endeavoring to, to do to get out of life. You know, it's interesting, uh, and so we'll come back to that. So the question this morning is, what are you breathing after? Uh, we're all breathing after something, and it seems that that something so oftentimes has to do with dollar signs, doesn't it? Uh, it's interesting because a marketing research team summarized the things that people want out of life along with the, the motivating factor behind that. And there's like 10 things. Uh, number one was a high paying job. People want a high paying job. Um, it makes them feel more successful, more valuable, more essential. And so that's one of the longings. One of the things that people breathe after the most is a high paying job. A second thing, they discover that people want to save money and spend less uh, to allow for the unexpected expenses of life. There's tornadoes that come through, right? So you want to be ready and prepared for that uh, when that time comes and other emergencies and life events. People want to use time more wisely. And the theory there is if you can get work done faster, you can get home sooner. And so there's this hope and longing people breathe after just a, a better approach at time management. Uh, here's one, people want to look better. They want to feel more attractive to other people. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, people want to learn new things to make better decisions in light of this knowledge. That's what people breathe after. Um, people want to live longer, and it's really intriguing today because so many of the worldviews don't give us assurance after life, after death, and so people are afraid to die. So people think about that. I want to live longer because I don't know what the what's beyond this veil or this curtain we call death. People long for more comfort, a pain-free life. Eighth, 
People want to be loved. They don't want to be lonely, and so they long for companionship. Ninthly, people want to be popular. They want to be um, the recipients of affirmation and praise because it helps them feel important. And then finally here, and tenthly, people want pleasure. They, do all, they want to be able to do all the things that they want to do and feel fulfilled in life. What are you breathing after today? Maybe you're thinking, well, I still don't know what I want out of life. And so what I want us to do, I want us to look at this passage and I want us just to see what Solomon lays out for us in this journal. And then by the time we get to the end of the message, what I want to do, I want to help you revamp that list. Uh, I want to help us to reshape it into a better list. And I think it's going to put you in a position where you're going to enjoy your life a whole lot more. Uh, it's going to be a better approach on how to live your life. And so Solomon presents us here with three options, okay, when it comes to a list like this. You can feel anxious about it. How will I ever achieve all of that? And if I do achieve anything on that list, how in the world will I ever sustain it? And so we can have anxiety about the things that we breathe after, right? We can have that. There's another thing that we can have associated with this list, and that is this list can fill you with a lot of shame. How many people have lived for those things and maybe they made a few bad decisions and now they're beating themselves up because they, because of those decisions they made, they're denied a lot of things that they think they could have had on that list. And so a lot of people not only have anxiety related to the list like that, they have shame related to a list like that. And then finally, I think what the uh, Solomon demonstrates for us is that this list can move you not, not to anxiety and shame, but it can move you away from anxiety and shame to joy, true joy. And he shows you that and how we can find joy in the simple things. It's a reoccurring theme that he presents to us here in, uh, in the journal of Ecclesiastes. So you can be filled with anxiety, that's verses 8 through 12. You can be filled with shame, that's verses 13 through 17 of Ecclesiastes 5. Or you could be filled with joy, and that's verses 18 through 20. Verses 8 through 12, you can be filled with a lot of anxiety. And here's what he does. He's going to start and show you how this whoever breathes after money never has enough. Whoever breathes after wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. He's going to start out by showing you how that that actually plays out at a, at a governmental and political economic level. And he's going to show you that first, how that greed plays into the, our entire systems of economy, okay? And then he's going, to, he's going to bring it down now to the individual level in just a couple of verses, okay? So just know that's how it's going to move. So he starts out, if we could go to uh, verse 8 for me, thank you. If, if you see the poor oppressed in a district, he says, um, and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. And so he starts talking about um, the poor and the oppressed and those who are, the, are not the recipients of a true justice. Um, when it comes to the Bible, there's a quartet of the vulnerable. Oftentimes, you will see the poor, widows, orphans, and resident aliens, a quartet of the vulnerable that's mentioned throughout the Bible. And so Solomon mentions it here. There's the poor are oppressed. He says, don't be surprised by such things. It's a statement about our sinful nature. It's what we do as humans. We're always trying to get the upper hand, no matter who it may hurt. For one official is eyed on the screen, one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. And so they're supposed to be holding each other accountable, but instead they're all in on the corruption. And they want those 10 things of life. Those 10 things that I mentioned at the very beginning. They want those 10 things in life. They're breathing after them. Nothing's changed. Human nature's the same all these years. They're chasing after them. They're breathing after them. And so, and this, this uh, motivation gets entrenched in economic and governmental systems and political processes. And all of a sudden now you've got an institutionalized and it begins to work and, and churn and churn. And the little guy gets churned up in the gears of that mechanism, that political mechanism. And it leaves that little guy, the little guy on the totem pole, it leaves him feeling very, very helpless and poor and unable to get out of this. And so 
Um, the scholars will tell you that when Solomon writes about the poor here, he's telling you about the day laborer who is oppressed by this system. The, the guy is being robbed, maybe of a fair wage. Um, he's being robbed of his goods, maybe even his land. Maybe he's being robbed of a, of a just verdict in court. He can't afford lawyers because he doesn't have the money to get the lawyers. He can't afford to take time off of work because, and go defend himself in a court of law, even if he had the intellectual ability to do that and the legal backing to do that. He's caught. And Solomon says, don't be surprised. That's how it works many times. In fact, he says, don't let it uh, startle you. Don't, don't be fearful. Don't be, be bewildered by this. It can fill you with anxiety, and it certainly does, and it certainly has. And it isn't right that the government will work that way sometimes in people's lives. Uh, but if you don't have the financial firepower, many times you're on the, on the bottom of this totem pole, and you really can't make the noise you need to make because you don't have the financial ability to do that. So you need somebody to right the wrong. Verse 9 in the middle of verse 9, hopefully there'll be a king who can right the wrong. Somebody who can come in and say, no, 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 we're, time out. We're not doing the corruption thing. Let's clean it up. Let's, let's make sure this is a just society and it's a fair system of government and that the little guy can excel like, just like the big guy can. All right? And hopefully you'll have a king, a ruler, that can do that, a leader that will do that, but here's the problem. What happens if the leader's in on it too? What happens if the leader, the king, is in the corruption? The increase from the land is taken by all, verse 9 on the screen. The king himself profits from the fields. So now you see how anxiety-inducing this can be? You're in a system of government where everybody's kind of corrupting this thing. Uh, it's like the the land is what you need to, to sustain life and your livelihood. We have to understand that in an agrarian society. They had to live off of their land. It wasn't like a lot of Kroger's and Martins and, and, and Myers and Menards to go to. You had to live and suffice off of the land. And then when that is taken from you, you're in trouble. And so if you vote in higher taxes that can't be paid by the people, then you confiscate the property due to back taxes owed. That is a system of corruption. You're taking away someone's sustenance and livelihood. And then when you demand favors so that you won't do that kind of thing, then you need a king to put a stop to it. But what if he's in on the corruption too? The king himself profits from the fields. Ideally, the best defense against government corruption is a godly king, a godly leader, a series of godly leaders. But when you don't have that, it's easy to despair. So I was thinking about this this week, and I've had a lot of classes, gone to school a lot of uh, ch huge chunks of my life. I've had difficult classes, Greek and Hebrew and some philosophy classes. But I want to tell you the hardest class I've ever had, and, and Hebrew's hard, okay? Greek is, can be hard. Those are tough classes. The hardest class I've ever had was an economics class. And the formulas of the economy and all the complex formulas you have to compute in order to figure out how economy is going to work, it's by far harder than anything I've ever, t ever had to take a class in. But I want to I uh, just simplify that. You know, we hear a lot about different governments. We read a lot about different governments, and it seems like today there's a lot of isms that are floating around and get talked about. There's socialism, there's fascism, there's Nazism, there's capitalism, and these are governmental systems, and they treat wealth and power and personal rights very differently from one another. And so it's kind of important for us to understand this. In fact, if I could just give you a two-minute overview of world governments, okay? Dictatorships and communism. This is when you own two cows. Slide 17 for me, if you would. Slide 17, dictatorships and communism. When you own two cows, but you have to give both cows to the government, and then they give you some milk. That's dictatorships and communism. Doesn't sound like a very good deal, does it? Fascism, it's when you own two cows, you keep them, but you have to give all the milk to the government, and they sell it back to you. That doesn't sound like a very good deal, does it? 
Nazism. You own two cows, however the government shoots you and takes both of them. That's a really bad system of government. And history's proven that several times. Socialism, you hear a lot about socialism, especially younger generation. Today's college graduate, seem like they're hot on socialism. Socialism, I'm simplifying it, okay? You own two cows, but you have to give one of them to the government and they give it to somebody else for free. Socialism, it'll never work, don't buy it, okay? Capitalism, what is that? You own two cows, the government doesn't interfere, so you sell one cow and you buy a bull, slide 18. Here I am, ladies, all right? Let's make some more, let's make a herd. He's ready, and that is a huge bull. And then what happens, slide 19, you get a whole herd, right? So you, that's capitalism in a nutshell. Now listen, here's what I'm trying to say to you, okay? It might be the terror of Nazism. It might be the corruption of communism. It might be the unfairness of socialism. It might even be prejudice and greed, which is the problem, the Achilles heel of capitalism. But people, individual people and families can get lost up in the wheels of these big systems of government. And when these systems of government are led by people who are corrupt themselves, who want those 10 things on the list, they want those 10 things and they're willing to step on whoever they got to step on in order to get it. That plays out in this larger canopy of governmental structure. It's how a lot of economies work. And it's important for us to understand that. And what Solomon wants you to understand as well, we talked about a little bit last week, that, and just as we see in verse 8, if you go back to verse 8 for me, okay, see how he says, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. Well, when you go back up one more verse to verse 7, it's going to talk about fearing God. And so instead of looking at all these systems of government where it crushes you and your family and whatever country and system of government you happen to be under, instead of living a life of induced anxiety from all of these things, he says, I want you to fear God. I want you to trust the highest authority of all. I've tried these systems of government, okay? I've tried doing things a certain way and, I'm, and, and I've acquired all these things and I want you to know that there's someone higher than all the people in the systems of government. He is guiding history toward the harbor of eternity. Don't be dismayed. Don't panic. Look up. Trust in the highest authority overall. There's one even higher than these guys. He says, fear God. That's the bottom line. That's the foundation, regardless of the system of government that you're in. Now, Solomon goes from the political to the individual now. The greed that fills government also fills people. Verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. And what he's going to do, he's going to show you like five reasons in the upcoming verses, 10 through 15, he's going to show you five reasons why living for money and making the pursuit of wealth your solitary, solitary life goal, what a dangerous mistake that is and how scary that is as you live, live your life and you continue to live out the consequences of those decisions. Maybe you work um, with people who, who they breathe after wealth, they breathe after money, they maybe, maybe they talk about their latest purchase or the latest commission they're getting or the raise or the stuff they already have or the stuff that they really want. They breathe and they're, they breathe for this and their breath and conversation is for these material things. And maybe you work with people like that, but maybe there's something more here. Maybe we should ask the question, what are you breathing after this morning? And maybe it's not so far from home. Yeah, there's those 10 lists, okay? There's the 10 list, list of 10 things. And we know that we long for those things and we hope for those things. But what are you breathing after? What are you living for? What are you basing value and identity on in your life? And Solomon says, even cynical Solomon says, hey, I want you to start out with the fear of God. And I want you to develop and have a relationship with God because you, if you try to build happiness, a structure of happiness and joy and meaning in life outside of God, based solely on money, you're gonna, it's going to leave you feeling meaningless and disappointed that life is vanity. Billy Graham once said, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. 
And if money is our everything, anxiety is sure to follow. Look at verse 10, it says, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This is meaningless. Okay, this guy imported 25 tons of gold. Solomon's net worth was about $2.3 trillion, according to different estimates, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $2.3 trillion. That's more than 10 times wealthier than Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett all combined. Nobody could touch Solomon. It was enormous, incomprehensible wealth. And he's standing here at the end of his life, and, and he's, of all the people qualified to talk about this, Solomon is your guy. And he's saying that, listen, your account's never going to grow large enough for you to finally relax and lay down in your bed at night and think, you know, I finally got, I've got it made. Finally, I'm at where I want to be in life. Well, why not? Because he says in verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. Slide number three. How many of you have discovered that when your pay increases somehow, your expenses increase too? You ever notice that about life? Well, that's what he's saying here. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Solomon warns us that the wealthy person who loves money just gazes at his wealth with his own eyes. He never takes his eyes off of it and, and, and what he's got accumulated. And if you're living for things, you'll grow obsessed about keeping them safe. And that's what he says has happened. He grew obsessed about keeping them safe. And, uh, and yet there's things that happen. Um, the government, whatever government you happen to live under, maybe they begin to take a cut. The economy tanks, life happens, your anxiety goes up. In fact, the message paraphrase um, offers a, just a neat insight, a way of saying verse 11 so well. It says, the more loot you get, the more looters show up to get it. Sometimes when the loot shows up, you have friends you didn't know you had. And you have invitations that you never had before. And uh, maybe the government demands more taxes. Maybe your investments vanish overnight. Maybe your employees are gonna rip you off in some way. Or maybe there's a guy pitching an investment plan that's going to be and he's not going to be careful enough or so you suspect there's a in the realm of rappers i think our rappers um, slide 13 probably says about as good as anybody in a contemporary way we all would get it okay slide 13 mo money mo problems okay next slide big puff daddy mace Mo pro, more, mo money, mo problems. All right, and Solomon's trying to tell you that it's the wealth, extreme wealth, especially, is not all cracked up what you think it is. Mo money, mo problem. The first problem with making money your everything in life is that other people or institutions will try to take it from you, and sometimes they will succeed. And this is going to cause you to cause you to even focus on it even more. And so you have to hold loosely to things. And, and this is Solomon's roundabout way of trying to get you there. Because mo money, mo problems. And if you don't have God in your life, money will dress itself up as God. It'll say, come to me, come to me. I'll give you security. I'll give you um, uh, safety. I'll give you joy. And so it, it comes to us. It dresses itself up and offers that kind of role to us. And when we treat money as though it were a God, we love it, we make sacrifices to it. Um, we live our lives controlled by getting it and guarding it. And it creates all kinds of anxiety in our life. In fact, money is to be a tool to be used, not a God to be worshiped, a God to be breathed after. And so, and that's what happens when we breathe after it and we make it our everything to the exclusion of God. It just has to be dethroned for it to work the way it's supposed to work in your life. Well, how do I dethrone money? Well, we refuse to live for it. We refuse to serve it. And yeah, we got to make it to survive. We understand that. But we refuse to judge or treat people on the basis of it. And we refuse to value it more than we value human beings. And we learn to see it as asserting the power in our lives. And, and when it asserts that power, we, we do all that we can to deny that right and that power. We dethrone it, we kick it off the throne. I like what Richard Foster says in slide 16, if you would for me. Richard Foster says, if you're worshiping at the, at the altar of money, if wealth, if the great pursuit 
you know, those 10 things, and so many of those 10 things revolve around money, okay? And if you make that your ultimate pursuit in life and you're worshiping at the shrine of money and wealth, he said the most profane act of all is to give some away, to give some away, to dethrone it. And the powers that energize money that cannot abide the unnatural act of giving because money is used by governments to manipulate. It's used by people to bargain. It, it's more about taking than anything. And when you give, you, for, you turn it on its head. And this is the most important way to destroy a God in your life when you make it serve the one and true and living God. And Richard Foster says, you wanna dethrone money, you wanna dethrone this worldview of life, give some of it away. It dethrones it. He says in slide, uh, on slide number three, Okay, so more money, more problems, right? But there's another thing here that happens, and verse 12 is going to show it to you. More money, more problems, more money, less sleep, all right? Verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, okay? Now go back to verse 8 for me if you would. See the poor guy that's oppressed? Stay with me now. There's a punch in this. The poor guy that's oppressed he doesn't get justice. He works hard. He's, he's caught up in the internal machinery of a government that's, that's gone awry, that's unfair. He doesn't get his day in court. He doesn't get the promotions that he ought to be getting and, and, and uh, his labor valued and honored in, in such a way that it should be. Now go back to verse 12, okay? Okay, the sleep of a laborer, that's the guy in verse 8. He comes full circle now. Solomon comes full circle. The, the day laborer, the sleep of a day laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, the mighty, powerful, corrupt, rich king, their abundance permits them no sleep. The table has turned. Did you see that? Do you see the contrast he's setting up for you? Okay. You've got this low guy on the totem pole. He lives under an oppressive government and regime with a modest income, but he's got a good wife. He's got children that love him and love to spend time with him. And he works hard, he sweats, he, he finally makes it home. And when, he, when it comes time, the, the stars come out at night and the lanterns are turned down. Guess who's living the life then? It's this guy. He sleeps so well. And then in contrast to that, the mighty king, the mighty king, look what, it, the rich and mighty king, he has abundance, okay? His abundance permits him no sleep. Um, he's, he doesn't have to work nearly as hard as, nearly as, hard as a common day laborer. And, and, and his wealth, enables him to buy all of these rich and greasy foods and so he tosses and turns and it's more than just exercise and diet that's cheating cheating him of his sleep he's got he's got this thing he's breathing after and he can't shake it it's enthroned in his life he has this insatiable desire for more he's the trillionaire in the passage king solomon and he's tossing and turning he's worried he's fretful He's desperate to find meaning in life, and we've seen in his story. He turns to women to try to find that. He turns to um, entertainment and education and friends and party and the arts and, and, and the accumulation of assets and resources. He's seeking all of these things. And he just can't even fall asleep on his bed and get a good night's rest. You know, a survey I came across uh, claims that Americans have the hardest time falling asleep. And the three nations that are in there with us, the United States, France, and Taiwan, rank among the three most sleep-deprived nations in the world. And 70% of sleep-deprived individuals can't sleep because they are anxious or troubled or worried in one way or another, and they have to do with job security, retirement savings, investment accounts, debt, income levels, bills coming due, possible losses of investments, corporate changes that might affect their job, college bills, needed home repairs, and on and on it goes. 
And a guy recently who, who, who tweeted out on Twitter, I have constant spasms, pain, tendonitis, weakness. I rock back and forth. I have gut issues. I'm unable to do anything I used to love. I feel like I'm dying. There's no breaks. There's no off days, no rest, no peace, none, none at all. And I think when we look at that, I think we could, we could say that's probably a good and fitting description of Solomon in his life at this stage of his life what he's seen happen in his life. In fact, if we go to slide three, you're going to see that Solomon says, I have seen grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Go to verse 17, if you would, for me, slide five. It talks about a great affliction. All right, here's a guy who breathed after wealth and prosperity and money and it literally is making him sick to his stomach he can't sleep right he can't digest food right this has become his everything and here he is uh, the trillionaire of the world the one person indiv individual that's more wealthy than anybody other anybody else in human history and he's trying to tell you something he's trying to tell me something mo money mo problems and he's also trying to tell you. He's trying to tell you that money and this breathing after this false God in our life will keep us up at night. Not only will we have more problems, he says, but you're going to lose some more sleep when you make this your everything. You can be filled with anxiety, he says, verses 8 through 12. Verses 13 through 17, you can be filled with shame. Look at verse 13 on the screen. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Grievous, uh, okay, a grievous evil. It's, it's like a broken heart. It's a, it's a stomach that won't digest food. It's a heart that can't love. It's self-centered. It's insecure. Notice how, how he says it's hoarded to the harm of its owners. They clutch it. They won't share it. They hoard it. They worry over it. They lose sleep over it. Verse 14, or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. The third reason why living for money can be meaningless, not only do other people come for it, not only do more money, more problems, not only is your rest deprived, but you can't hang on to it forever. And we have to understand that. And not only that, you can't take it with you. He's going to show you this. In fact, how bad did it get for Solomon? Well, when you start talking about coming out naked from your mother's womb, it's pretty bad. Look at verse 15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. Nobody's born with clothes on and shoes on their feet, right? We come naked from a mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. And so here we are, presented with this incredible case study. A man who was rich already, he no longer enjoyed his riches, so he clutched his riches. Then he gambles everything because he simply wanted more, and he risked what he had in order to get more than he needed. And then in the meantime, he stopped enjoying what he had, and then he lost everything that he, that he needed. And then he comes to the reality that, you know what? We can't take it with us. A life devoted to this wealth, breathing after these things, okay? A life devoted to worldly wealth, a life devoted to frustration, that's what it is. You're going to have to deal with corrupt politicians, yes, who want to take it. You're going to have to deal with a nagging reality that you never have enough. You're going to have to deal with the frustration of people who maybe constantly want, to, want you to give that to them. You're going to have to deal with the worry that even though today is fine, tomorrow might not be. And you're going to have to deal with the uncertainty that a bad investment might cause you to lose it all. Verse 16, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Look how dark it is. The darkness symbolizes the misery. Okay, there's, this person's isolated. This person's joyless. 
Um, there's frustration. It's a word that means mental anguish. And finally, there's anger. He's raging. He's raging out at all the people, anybody who dares to come near him. His ego has been defined by what he's possessed. And when it's all gone, he loses his reason for existence, his reason for being and for serving and for loving. He was after those 10 things and he gave his heart to what he thought would give him those 10 things that we started with today. So there's a, you can be filled with anxiety, you can be filled with shame, but finally he says, you can be filled with joy. And this is what life taught him. Verse 18, slide five, this is what I have observed to be good. That is appropriate, it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. When we look at that, to eat and drink, it's expressive of companionship and joy and satisfaction. And it's one of the most God-saturated entries in Solomon's journal. He talks about the gifts we've, we've been given by God. He fills us with joy, the gift of life. He talks about here the gift of, of uh, not only life, but the gift of, of enjoying what we have. He says the gift of accepting who we are and where we are in life, the gift of, of, of enjoying what we do. He says these are all gifts. They're gifts from God, but the ability to enjoy them, verse 19. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, that's a gift from God too. And so you have people who have all these things and don't have the ability to enjoy them. And when God is not in your life, it's like you have all these Christmas presents, all these gifts, and you can't enjoy them. It's like on Christmas morning, you get the car for your son. He's so excited. You open, he rips that package open and he looks and he, he's so excited. And then you realize, oh no, battery's not included. And you think about that. And then you realize as a parent, oh, it takes about 85 batteries. Why did I get this car for this kid? And that's the way it is, Solomon says. It's like when we have all these things, all the 10 things on the list, when we have these things that we've breathed after, if we haven't breathed after God, it's like we, have, we don't have the ability to enjoy them and to be used those things in ways that God would want us to use them. And so our satisfaction is incomplete. We end up being miserable. We end up doing life alone. We end up having satisfaction deprived. And, and this is from a guy who's trying to tell you, I don't care how pure gold the plate is. He knows the emptiness of eating an incredible meal fit for a king off of a plate of gold and still finding that insufficient for his life. Solomon says they seldom reflect. They, those who honor and fear God in their life, those who have satisfaction in the simple things of life, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Because enjoyment comes by knowing and living for God and taking everything from his hand with thanksgiving. And then whether it's pain or pleasure in life, we understand that life itself is a gift from God. And that is one of the greatest messages of this book. Now, what about those 10 things? I think we need to tweak what we began with here today. A lot of people said they want a high paying job. I think probably most of us would want a high paying job because what that represents and how that helps us in life financially. But how about, can we tweak it? How about an adequate paying job that meets the bills, but you still have a life? What about that? You still have the opportunity to interact with your children more and to build relationships with them and, and, and do things with them, go to the ark and museum with them and, and take that in or, or take a, a camping trip together or uh, something to bond with your family? How about just an adequate paying job that doesn't demand that you're 24-7, 365 and you never have an opportunity to connect with the people who are important to you in your life? How about an adequate paying job that meets the bills but you still have a life? How about that? Everybody wanted to save money and spend less. How about enjoying 
what we already have and not obligating our future as much. Everybody wants to use time more wisely. How about loving the people in our life while we have the time? If you look on verse 18, if you go back a slide, it says we have a few days of life. How about loving the people in your life while you have the time? Everybody wants to look better, right? And we do a lot, we spend a lot of money just to look better. And how about growing old graciously with adequate rest and exercise that gives you that youthful vibe? How about that? Did you know a genuine smile is a person's greatest cosmetic? And that can only come in walking with the Lord. We want to learn new things, right? That's what the survey reveals. Well, how about living out one new thing that we already know that we just have neglected to do? We want to live longer. Well, how about doing the things that make you feel alive so that you lose, you lose track of how old you are? We want to be more comfortable. Well, how about finding joy in the struggle so that you know and have this unique fellowship with Christ and his sufferings. We want to be loved. And how about finding someone else that no one else loves and love them? We want to be popular. How about giving the least popular person you know in your life the celebrity red carpet treatment? There's different ministries that will actually do that. Be a celebrity for a day. We want pleasure. How about using every pleasurable gift that God has given in a way that makes God look really good? That is living a God-glorifying life. See, I think we can tweak those things. And, and, and the life that it's going to give us is going to be a deep, more deeply satisfying life. You know, even if you are somehow able to secure wealth in your life, and you keep it away from the greedy politicians and the governments that want to steal and rob and crush. If you get enough money in your life and you're close to being satisfied, if you're able to avoid the, the, the people who want to take uh, what you've earned and worked hard for, if you manage to live life without worrying um, as much, if you live your whole life without ever losing your fortune, if you happen to, you're able to hold on to your health and have that going for you, if you achieve all of these life goals, if you achieve all those things on that list of 10 things, someday there's something that no man or woman escapes. And that's the last thing. Because someday we will lose every penny we have on this earth. We'll lose every toy that we bought. Someday we'll lose every investment that we've ever made. And that's what Solomon is trying to prepare you for is in that moment when it's time for us to graduate from this life and move on to the next, he's trying to tell you, you're going to leave it every bit of it behind. You're not going to take it with you. There was a guy, kind of a miser, and he was going to die soon, and he was just so, he breathed after money so much in his life, it was his everything. And he told his wife, he said, could you put some of that money, a lot of that money in a satchel, put it up in the attic, I don't know how, what happens when I die, but when I die, I'm going to try to grab a hold of it and take it with me. Okay, so she kind of forgot about it. He died at the funeral, everything happened. And then she was up in the attic cleaning something out. And she looked, and the bag of money was still there. It was still there. And she said, I knew I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> yep. It's a preacher joke. You'll have to forgive me. Okay. I tell one or two of those a year. Today was the day. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. That's a lot of information. There's a lot of things there. There's a lot of verses. But I love and care for you, and I want you to live your life in a way that honors God. And I want you to be careful what you breathe after.
be careful what you breathe after. And sometimes we have this fantasy that we've built around the goals that we have, the financial goals that we have, and we make life everything about that. And when we do, we end up, we pull up short sometimes on that deep, that sense of deep life satisfaction. As I was reading this passage and thinking about it, go back to the verse that talks about naked, uh, you, you come out of the womb naked, right? And we see that everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. I think about this is how this is uh, the uh, triumphal entry Sunday, and I think about Good Fridays coming up, and I think about Jesus. And we kind of sanitize the cross, and uh, the artist, in order to make it more palatable and uh, something we can assimilate a little easier and doesn't offend our sensitivities, um, they'll often put a, a loincloth on the Savior on the cross. Uh, but really, uh, per Roman execution, you were crucified naked on a cross, open shame for all the world to behold. And our Savior comes into the world, and he came out naked, and he goes out naked from this world. And everybody, everybody was, he didn't own anything but just a, a cloak that he had, and they even gambled that away um, from him. He didn't even have that at the end of his life. And uh, even the, the thief on the cross was looking to get something from him. Everybody was looking to get something from the Savior. And here he is on a cross. He turns his back against all the gods of this world. And naked he came into the world, and naked he goes out of the world. And why does he do that? You know why? Go back to the first slide. There's a corruption in our world. We have oppression in the world. We have injustice in the world. We have people with power in the world that abuse the power. We have people that take things from other people. We, have, we love all the wrong things in life. We love the temporary things rather than the eternal things. Go to the next slide, okay? Why did Jesus do what he did on the cross, okay? He died for people that just lock their eyes on what it is they think they want. He, he, he did it for people who spend their lives for all the things that rob them of so much sleep and happiness and joy. He, there's all the evil in the world, all the evil under the sun in the world. Next slide, okay? He does it for them. He does it for you and for me because we can't stand before God, a holy God, on our own righteousness. So he takes all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of this. He becomes, just like Solomon says, he becomes the greater Solomon, the greater Solomon. And he says, hey, I'm here with a deeper wisdom. I'm here with a better way. I've come to live for you, to die for you, and I want to show you that self-sacrificial love is the greatest wealth. It's the greatest wealth. It's the thing that helps you sleep the best. It's the thing that brings you greater joy. It's the thing that you enjoy your food better. You enjoy your life better. You enjoy your relationships better. When you come to him and you say, you know what? I'm going to dethrone these other gods in my life. I'm going to come to the one who loved me, who wasn't just about getting. He was all about giving. And not only that, he gives us something to build our life on, the truth, a foundation of truth to live our life on, and he gives us the hope of heaven. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you want out of life? What is your aim in life? Money, fame, promotions, status, more things. What Solomon is telling you that many people are still not satisfied when they acquire those things. And the only way you're ever going to find the true joy you're looking for is that guy naked on a cross who says, I love you. It's finished. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for the hard talk here out of Ecclesiastes 5. And we realize, Lord, that uh, we need money to survive. We need uh, sustenance and we need uh, things to help uh, pay our bills and feed our families and live our lives. And we understand that. And we know that that's all good. That's part of your plan for us to work and labor and enjoy the work that we have. I pray, Father, this morning that if something has gotten off balance in our life, 
uh, that something we're breathing after something besides you and maybe it has to do with money and wealth and maybe it has to do with the security that that gives us maybe that's dressed up as God in our life and we've we've thrown thrown down our crowns and our scepters at the altar of this God I would ask and pray here this morning that you would liberate us from from the tyranny of that and from the emptiness of that and I just pray here this morning that um, you would guide us uh, regardless of our life context and where we are and what's happening with our jobs our government our world the country we live in the, the people we're we are part of all these different things that kind of play into economy and the spiritual things and family and all these things we ask and pray there's one thing we would not miss this morning and that is that we would come to Christ we would proclaim him as Lord and we would live self-sacrificial love we would live that out demonstrate that daily and how we treat the people in our life and what we do with our time and the investments and the gifts you've given You've given us so many gifts today, and perhaps we have not enjoyed them to the degree that we should have enjoyed them. And I ask this morning you would guide us in this, that we would enjoy one another right here in our church. We would enjoy our families. Um, we would enjoy the, even our jobs could be ministry, areas of ministry where we live out the joy of the Lord and the peace we have in Him. Lord, that all of these things, all these gifts, we would truly value them and appreciate them and live out your peace through these gifts, that we would have the ability and the power to enjoy them. Would you give us better sleep? We don't want to toss and turn and spend our lives for the American dream and now we're going to spend on our beds. No, no, no. We want to live our lives for the right things and have peace, peace with our families, peace with our God peace with what we've done with that which you've entrusted to us and so i ask and pray you would guide us in this on this triumphal sunday and thank you lord for loving us checking us in our sin and um, saving us in your redemption thank you we give you honor and praise and glory in all of it we pray all these things in well, thank you this morning. Will you stand with me? You enjoy this day. Go in his peace. Dethrone idols. Enthrone him. Live for him. Amen. You're dismissed.